Good morning, Four Oaks Church. Pastor Paul here. It's Tuesday, August 22nd. So glad that you've joined us for this round of our pastoral devotionals. This is where we take a few minutes each weekday to study a portion of God's Word together. We are camped out in Matthew 9 this week. We are preaching through the Gospel of Matthew on Sunday mornings at Four Oaks. And so we're using the week prior to look at the, the message, the passage that we're going to be preaching on that coming Sunday. One, it kind of gives me a head start and gets me in the flow of studying the passage to, to go over it with you. But, but even more importantly, it gives you hopefully an opportunity to grab hold of some tools for yourself for understanding and applying God's word, not just receiving theological information or teaching, but getting some of those tools to be able to study the word of God for yourself. And so we are in Matthew 9, and I'm going to be reading, we are reading together verses 9 through 13. Let me, let me read that and let me tell you where we're, we're heading this morning. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So if you're with us, you know we use this analogy of the concentric circles where we're aiming to get to the heart of the central circle, which is the meaning of the text. And, but in order to do that, we have to start on the outside circles, looking at context, what's happening, how it relates to what comes before and after. And one of those things, as we're kind of hovering here on the outside, trying to situate this passage, we notice what comes right before this. And of course, this is the passage, the healing of the paralytic, where Jesus also forgives this man's sins. And we have to ask then, what is the connection with this, with what we're reading about here in this passage, the calling of Matthew and this banquet feast that Jesus is attending full of all these ne'er-do-well sort of characters, shady people? And I think it's simply this. We hear in this first section of Matthew, uh, first part of Matthew 9, the healing of the paralytic, the forgiveness of sins, where Jesus makes it clear the most important fundamental need any of us have is to have our sins forgiven, and only God can forgive sins. But the immediate question, I think, for those reading this, um, bearing witness to it, reading Matthew's gospel, would say, but then who whose sins can be forgiven? We, we know that only God forgives sins, that sins, that our forgiveness of sins is our greatest need. Well, who's eligible? How does this work? Is it a select few? Is it open to a, a, an exclusive club? How does this exactly work? And it's here that Matthew introduces his own autobiography, his own biographical story, and his own conversion. Now, one of the things I asked you to do for last time was to go and look at the parallel passages that we find in Luke and Mark which detail this same calling. 
And, and, and let me explain why that's why that, that can be an important feature. On one hand, Matthew's given us everything we need here to know and study and understand this passage, okay? Independent of any other um, gospel narratives of the same story. However, we need to understand that each of the gospel writers chose the events they chose to record for a reason, and the details they included or didn't include for a reason. And so we typically see much more detail, for example, in Mark's gospel than we do in Matthew's gospel. And that's because each of them have, are writing with different purposes and themes. It doesn't mean they're in contradiction. It just means that they choose to emphasize different points of the story. And so by looking at these other passages, narrating the same event, we can come to understand why a little better why Matthew includes what he does and what he doesn't. Okay, so here I want you to, 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 to note the way Matthew records what happens to him. It's all in the third person, okay? As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at his tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. In other words, if you did not know that Matthew was the author of this gospel, you would have no idea that the writer is writing about himself. Now, let's compare this for a second, shall we? Let's go first to Mark, okay? Mark, when he records the same story, tells us in Mark 2 that as Jesus passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, said, follow him. In verse 15, and as he reclined at table, meaning Matthew's table or Levi's table, Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, okay? Luke 5, hope you're paying attention here. The quiz is going to be right at the end of this, okay? Verse 27 in Luke 5. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. What are the two primary differences in these accounts, the way Matthew records it, the way the other gospel writers record it? One is the very obvious way that he refers to himself. The Mark and Luke refer to this man as Levi, Matthew refers to himself as Matthew, and we have to ask, what's going on there? Well, most well, there's a couple theories. One, it's it's likely that Levi was his Jewish name. He's from the tribe of Levi, potential, possibly, um, and that Matthew is his Greek name. It was the name that he was known by in the larger um, context of the of of his work for on behalf of the Roman Empire. There's also, though, and I think this has some weight to it, that what we may be very well looking at is the idea that Matthew, when he was converted, was renamed by Jesus, and this is not without precedent, right? Saul becomes Paul. Simon becomes Peter. And the word Matthew means, and I've got this written down somewhere. I knew you were going to I knew I was going to ask myself a question I couldn't answer. Uh, Matthew literally means um, great unto God. Um, God be 
praise, God be, God be magnified. And we have to say, well, then, then what does this have to do with Pastor Paul with the way these stories are recorded? Well, I, I think there's something really subtle going on here. One, let's note that Matthew takes great pains to not elevate himself in his testimony, okay? Um, Matthew, if we think about the modern-day Christian testimony where Christian celebrities use their platform to proclaim Christ, which is, which is nothing in, wrong in itself, but oftentimes those things can become very self-serving. They can become all about the person's brand, the person's personality, the person elevating themselves. Look what God has done for me, and I'm going to tweet, I'm going to post it on Instagram, and comment on your Facebook page, and fundamentally, we end up being the hero of the story. Well, what Matthew has done here, and let's go back to, to Matthew 9, is that he's one purposefully de-emphasized himself in the story. So he could have easily said, Matthew 9, verse 10, that Jesus came to my house. Jesus was reclining at my table. Um, I'm a rich guy. I'm using my wealth to spread the gospel. I'm, I have a huge mansion. People are coming over and partying, and, G, and I'm hanging out with Jesus. That's not what he does. In fact, it's almost like he's embarrassed to admit it and goes out of his way not to, not to say it, right? Um, he came to a house with a bunch of other people, and then the story goes on, which we'll talk about here in the next couple of days. So, so one, he, he, he purposefully de-emphasizes himself. But number two, by referring to himself as Matthew, this is a real identity marker, right? This is, when he refers to himself as Matthew, it's not because he's embarrassed of his past, okay? Um, even though I'm sure he felt great shame about his past as a tax collector, it was to emphasize the fact that Jesus had given him a new identity, that he was no longer the tax collector. Um, but by the virtue of the fact that he referred to himself as a different name would have been a constant reminder to himself and to everybody else, I once was Levi, the betrayer of my country, because let's remember, tax collectors were scorned. They were turncoats, traitors. They worked for the Romans. They, they were considered defiled, ritually unclean. They weren't allowed to worship in the synagogue. They were ostracized by their own people. Um, Matthew, quite literally, as John MacArthur says in his commentary, was probably the most unpopular man in town. And so Levi was that unpopular man. And so now when Matthew refers to himself, not as Levi, but as Matthew, he's reminding himself and everyone else, my life's been transformed. Um, I've been given a new heart. I've been given a new identity. Um, so much so that that identity is now not based upon what other people think about me or how wealthy I am or the position of influence I've secured, but it's based upon um, Jesus's salvation for me. So, so in thinking about our, our little lesson today in terms of biblical interpretation, we gather a lot by looking at other portions of scripture 
to help us understand why scripture writers included or didn't include what they included. And so this is Matthew's way of putting a big blinking light over the fact that he was nothing, Jesus saved him, and that Jesus is the hero of the story. And so may we take a similar posture to the work of God's grace in our life. Let's not make ourselves the hero of the story. Let's always point people to Jesus. Now, tomorrow, we're going to get into the meat of this passage, um, which talks about this party that, that Matthew threw for all of these sinners and what the Pharisees say about it, what Jesus says about the Pharisees and what they say about it, and what we can learn from it as well. All right, that's it. Thanks for joining us. Let me pray. Father, remind us that we are all Levi apart from you. But in Christ, we are now Matthew. We are new creatures. We've been given a new identity. And we pray, Father, that we would live into that today, walk in that by the power of your grace and the Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. See you tomorrow.